Hey listeners, this episode discusses miscarriage, pregnancy loss, and fertility treatment. Please take care when listening. You're listening to the Raise to Empower podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Kamajis, a licensed clinical social worker with a multi-state online therapy practice. I have a passion for empowering women and mom therapists to break free of the fear, overwhelm, and oppressive systems that hold them back from taking action and building the private practice of their dreams. My goal is for you to boldly believe in yourself as a clinician and business owner. If you're looking for a place to learn practice building strategy and skill while also claiming your own power as a woman and a therapist, then you're in the right place. Welcome to the show. Hey listeners, welcome to this new episode of the Raised to Empower podcast. This is the second episode in this special series that I'm doing this week about preparing for maternity leave and private practice, recognizing that everyone's journey to motherhood and parenthood is completely different. Now, if you didn't listen to yesterday's episode, this week I'm releasing four new shows, Monday through Thursday. And in each episode, I'm going to be talking with a different woman about her experience and journeying to motherhood and navigating private practice. Some episodes will discuss pregnancy loss, fertility struggles, adoption, and single motherhood by choice. And today is part two of this series. You can go back and listen to the first episode that was released yesterday, and it should be in your podcast feed. And also, if you're preparing to welcome a child, you're currently pregnant or in the adoption process or whatever phase you're in as you're journeying towards motherhood, and you're wondering how to take maternity leave in private practice, you know, what to prepare for and all the other important details, I'm hosting a free workshop on July 12th where we'll be going through all the details to prepare for maternity leave, including talking with clients about your leave and setting yourself up financially for taking time off. You can register for this free workshop at raisetoempower.com forward slash maternity leave, and you can check the show notes for the link. Today's guest, Ren, shares with us her deeply personal experience of multiple losses in pregnancy and her journey through fertility treatments, all while navigating private practice and preparing for maternity leave. Here's my interview with her. Welcome to this week's episode of the Raised to Empower podcast. My guest today is Ren Skidmore. She's a licensed clinical social worker whose path to becoming a therapist started when she was on the other side of the couch as a teen battling anxiety. She got treatment that changed her life and is now here to do the same. She has a passion for helping emerging young adults and women who are struggling to grow their families in a fertile focused world. She does this in her private practice based in Maryland. Ren holds advanced training in perinatal mental health, internal family systems, and EMDR. Her lived experience with anxiety and as a woman dealing with infertility and recurrent pregnancy loss gives her a unique understanding into what her clients are experiencing. When Ren isn't working, you can find her wrangling her two dogs on the local trails, trying the newest vegetarian restaurant to their husband and spending time with her son. Ren, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Ashley. It's great to be here. I'm so glad to get a chance to talk with you today. I always start episodes out by getting a little backstory on my guests to find out how did you get into the work that you do? I know you are in private practice. You're a licensed clinical social worker. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. What led you there? Like, how did you get here? Yeah. Okay. It's a great question. I come from a family of helpers. And so that was a natural track in school. And 
I went through school and ended up getting a, an initial master's in forensic psychology. And it was my last course in that program. That was actually a counseling course. Yeah. And, oh my gosh, wait, like, you know, what have, what have I done? I've just gotten this degree and now I actually want to go back for, yeah. for a counseling degree or for a social work degree. So, um, I worked, I said, I worked a little bit in very corporate Washington, DC, America, um, before going back for, for my degree in social work. And that yeah. ended me, you know, eventually in a group practice and then sort of meandering my journey took me, um, to private practice. So it's been, a lot of that had to do with my, you know, my story about like how trying to grow sure. a family. Um, yeah. that's how I ended up here. Yeah. And how long have you been like out of group practice and into your own solo practice? Yeah, that's a great question. That's, um, three years. Three and a half, four years, three years, three years, four years around, around there. That. <laughs> around that, around there. I was like pandemic timing, something around yeah. that. How far out are we from that? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, you know, eager to hear your story today because it sounds like part of your journey to motherhood helped direct you towards going out on your own and that process. So this episode is part of a series that we're doing on different experiences with people's journey to parenthood, to motherhood and, and what that looks like. So we'll kind of go wherever you feel comfortable to start, but share with, with us, what has been your experience? I know it's been, um, a, a long, a long experience with loss and, and fertility. How did that, that path start for you? Yeah. So my, my husband and I met, um, when I was a freshman in college. And so it was aging myself. It was a while ago. Um, <laughs> and, and we got married and we've been together for a while and had started thinking about, you know, growing our family and hadn't really thought about, right. That this might be more yeah. complicated than we thought, right. This might not look like the way we thought it would. And so ended up getting pregnant it's about five, about five years ago now, almost six, um, ends up getting pregnant pretty quickly after we started trying. Um, and then had my first miscarriage shortly mm -hmm. thereafter, um, and was met with what, unfortunately, right. A lot of women, um, are met with, which is like, oh, it's fine. It's totally normal. You know, keep on, keep on going, keep yeah. on trucking. At that time I was in group practice and okay had no idea what I was doing. Right. So I had sort of the demands yeah. practice. I was trying to figure out like, okay, wait, what's happening to my body, to this pregnancy. I'm trying to run out between clients to get, you know, beta blood work done. And, you know, I'm actively miscarrying. I'm in sessions. I'm having to like, try to figure that out. And yeah, a ton of, you know, flexibility. There was a lot of pressure around seeing a certain number of clients and certain hours during the day. So um, that was sort of my first time of being like, okay, wait, right. Like, how do I, yeah. how do I navigate this and maintain, you know, a caseload and the responsibilities of this group that I'm with and off. Yeah. Were you like, had you begun telling people that you were pregnant, like at that point in your practice, or was it something that you're holding sessions, but you're kind of going through this thing on your own and balancing that? Yeah, it was, I, you know, I hadn't shared with anyone that I was pregnant. Um, I, I ended up having to, you know, share with some colleagues simply because, mm -hmm. of, you know, some uh, having to run out, having yeah. to schedules, having to, you know, take care of like my own medical needs at that point. And, you know, when there was 
the flexible, I, I think I took a, three hours off for that process. Wow. I knew like something's got to give, right? Like this can't be. So it sort of planted, it was around that time. I think that that seed was planted about like, okay, wait, there's got to be a better way I can do this work that I love to do and also take care of myself and hopefully a future pregnancy at this point. I didn't know what the, were in the cards for me, but, um, yeah. Were you working with the perinatal population at that point yet, or did that come later in your practice journey? That absolutely came later. So really, really sort of as a result of, um, you know, some of what I went through, right. I think there's, I always say we, we do the work we do (laughs) for a reason. Yep. And so that, at that point, I was really primarily seeing adolescents, a lot of adolescent girls with anxiety. And so that was my primary bread and butter back then. Um, and, and we continued on, right? So at that point, we were like, everyone was telling us things were normal. Everything's fine. You just pick up and try again. This, is, this happens to everybody. And we kept trying and trying and trying. Um, and things weren't happening. And everyone was saying, you're young, you're healthy, you're young, you're healthy, everything's fine, right? And so finally, um, I think it was actually like, I have to advocate for myself, right? I'm advocating yeah. for myself, everyone else, like something, something's got to give here. It's at this point, probably about a year and a half um, into just not being able to then get pregnant again and got referred over to the fertility clinic and sort of was entered into that space. I'm sure some of your listeners know about what that is like to try to balance, right? Like those appointments with, with a practice, those appointments, um, with, you know, either group practice or private practice or wherever you are, it's tough. Now, were you still with the group at that point or were you on your own yet? I was, I was still with the group, um, and was just starting out at the fertility. And this, this is also, I'm trying to think of timeline around, you know, around COVID. And so we went in for our initial testing, our initial um, meetings with doctors there, and then things got shut down. Everything was on a pause, right? Like what's going to be happening? What are we doing? What is yeah. going on, you know, in the world? We had to pause all of that, which threw another wrench into things. So that happened. So like your journey into the fertility clinic kind of was right at the beginning of the pandemic then. Yes, we were scheduled. Um, we were scheduled for one of our first procedures around that time and ended up that got canceled. That got paused, yeah. re- restart date around the pandemic. Cause I was going to ask, you know, I know when you are going through fertility treatments that there's a lot of appointments and it's sometimes specifically timed of like when you have to be there and, or things that have to be done at certain times, were you having to navigate any of that before everything went online? And if so, like, how did you manage that with the practice? And I mean, I know sometimes it can be, you have to come in tomorrow. Like, it's not like, you know, like in, in a couple of weeks, like, it's, right. It's like, oh, you have right. Four hours to get down here. We have to scan you. Um, yeah. but, but really it felt like that at times. Yeah. So I had at that point sort of started, um, a smaller private practice on the side. It was still with the group and had been sort of doing these appointments at, I think, oh my gosh, I'm trying to remember the earliest. I would just try to, I would, you know, beg and plead for the first slot of the day, which sure six, six thirty seven I can't remember yeah. now, but it's, you're up and it was winter, right? So it's like, it was, it's dark. You're driving, yeah. waiting. There's sort of this group of, you know, I'm 
there's this group of people, you know, women outside of the clinic, we're all like headlights on, we're waiting for the lights to turn on to scamper inside for our hands and our appointments. And so I would do that and then see clients during the day. Yeah. um, Those appointments. Did you find any of that internally difficult to navigate of like, I'm going through this or, and I know like hormones can be fluctuating and, you know, just the mental load that can come with that. How did that impact being in sessions with clients or was it not something that you had to really navigate for yourself during that time? It was, you know, I think for, for me, there were moments when the session I'm there, I'm with a client, I'm like, it's their time. It's their space. It was a yeah. wonderful escape from everything mm. else. Going on, right. Like my phone has to be off. I'm not checking for results and portals. I'm not looking at, you know, perusing online forums, you know, to which I probably should not have been doing as much as I was. Right. But I'm not like looking for data yeah. points, other women doing this. I, I could just be with clients. And so there was moments that were like absolute relief. And I think part of that landed me in a little sticky situation of like, just wanting to book my schedule. Like if there's an opening, mm-hmm. I want to think, but I think let's pop a client in there, right? Like let's sure let's a time with something where I can get my mind off of what's happening outside of sessions and, you know, maybe even help someone along the way, right? Like let's, let's sure. take me and my stuff. Um, but I think that's, that kind of what happened. I will say there's one, this was a, further down the road when we were things had resumed. I was, I was at this point, I had made the transition fully into private practice and we were doing, we were at a point in some of our treatments where I was, you know, having to do shots and things and timing that with, and, you know, things that are very specific, right. For retrieval dates. And I had to leave, you know, I was having to like run out of session to be like, Oh, I'm so sorry. One moment, you know, I'm going to use the, I have to use the bathroom, pause a session with a client, go run out, give myself an injection, run back into session, you know, that was, it was getting a little wild then. I mean, that that one, that one is not one I will forget. Um, you know, and I was trying to juggle that became, became tough and I didn't want to give up my practice, but knew, you know, okay, these things have to happen at certain times. Like, how do you make it work? Can you just excuse yourself from a session for two minutes, have a syringe prepped and be like running into the bathroom to give yourself that. I don't know if it's right. It's what I did. It's what you had to do. You got to do. Yeah. Yeah. Now, did you disclose with any of your clients, like you were going through treatment and I know everybody handles things differently and there's not a right or wrong way to do that. But was that anything that you discussed with them of, Hey, this is what's going on right now. And I may have to schedule or cancel like because of all of this. So I had a couple of people that during one of my other losses, right now we talked about sort of, I had recurrent loss and was able to get pregnant, um, through some fertility assisted treatment at the, at the clinic and ended up, um, having an ectopic pregnancy Mm. and having a a ruptured tube. And this happened while I was in session. And so that one there was some stuff that sort of had to be disclosed, right? Because I'm sure. sitting there session and say, I'm so sorry, you know, we need to sort of wrap up. Something is, something is wrong. I'm, I'm very sick, you know, um, and, and then had to follow up with some people just yeah, be authentic, right. And wanting to sort of, it's really hard to know. I was hearing from certain supervisors and other people in the field of like, oh my gosh, don't say anything. This is going to be mm. So destroy your practice. Everyone will leave. They'll know you're trying to get pregnant. They'll wow. know you're 
coming up and then others in the field that, you know, we're saying like, oh my gosh, of course, right. This is authentic. Like you're here right. for this treatment, right? Like share as much as you're comfortable with. So that was a real internal struggle. Right. Right. How did like, what, what, how did you reconcile that? I guess for yourself, right. Cause you do have two very different ends of the spectrum. And I would be super curious. I think there is an old school way of thinking, right. Yeah. That like, we do kind of see with people maybe who've been in the field a lot longer and those that maybe are, I don't know what you want to call them, newer generation of, of practitioners where yes, we still don't just fully self-disclose, but we also recognize like we are a human being sitting across from another human being who is having a human experience. And we are that too. If you are actively bleeding in a session, like you can't hide that. Right. And so like, how did you reconcile that for yourself of like, this is how I want to navigate it. You know, I, I, I think I tried to sort of make, you know, I made a decision by not making a decision. Right. I was sort of okay. so, really hard to hear. Sure. I respected on sort of either side of that um, argument, if you will. And, and I sort of just tried to do what felt right at that point. I was working with, you know, some of the perinatal population, others that were experiencing some things. And yeah. so, you know, just really trying to prioritize client need and, and that being the reason I would share or not share or, mm-hmm. uh, but it was, it was tough. And I do, you know, we can sort of self-reflect and that moment of having to like be like, oh, I have to go to the bathroom and running to go give my, you know, these, these times when I look back and I'm like, I could have just said, you know, if I, what would have mm-hmm. happened if I just said, you know, Hey, I've got this thing going on. There's this time, like, I need to excuse myself for a moment and come back yeah. like I'm here with you. I just need to, you know, step out for a moment. I have absolutely no doubt that, and I've, you know, enough respect for my clients and people that I see yeah. like, right. Like that would have been fine. And there was this sort of fear, a little bit of like fear mongering that was, I was hearing from one side that did impact how much I shared. And eventually when I was able to, you know, get and, and stay pregnant, um, which led to the live birth of my son and, and shared with people and got to a point and my gosh, I was really, I was really far along in my pregnancy before I shared again with some of this information that I got, sure. but, um, everyone was great, right? Like everyone was fantastic about it. Yeah. <laughs> everyone. And, and there were a few people that said like, yeah, you know, I thought maybe you were, I thought maybe something was going on, right. I thought maybe you were doing, yeah. and I was like, dang, you know, that, that was a missed opportunity, even just therapeutically of, of modeling humanness. And it's interesting to sort of reflect back on that now. For sure. I I know it sounds like you were beginning to work with the perinatal population, like while you were pregnant with your son and kind of, again, going through some of the treatments, what was that like for you when you did decide to disclose, Hey, I am expecting a baby. And if you were working with clients that were themselves going through fertility um, struggles, what, what was that like for you? And how did you navigate that? There's, there's, like the survivor's guilt doesn't pass us over. Right. Mm. Like there's definitely that feeling of, oh my gosh. Right. Like we were sort of, even if I hadn't disclosed, right. There were parts of me that would show up in session that, you know, I like I'm there with you. Right. Like we're, yeah. we're sort of together and, um, then things shift and there was definitely some survivor's guilt. There was, it was hard to know, you know, just how to navigate those conversations and knowing mm-hmm. as I've been on the other side of them, right? Like I know what it feels like, even sure. though it feels like the therapists tell you that they're pregnant, right? I know right. How to, like, 
not great, right? It's like everyone else, even my therapist, right? Like, right. Right? so, so that, that was tough. That was really yeah. tough. Um, and, and it is, it was just proof of like, yeah, right. We're therapists, we're human. We are not immune to survivor's guilt. Uh, you know, communities yeah. when, when, and if you are able to, you know, get and stay pregnant, um, yeah. it's tough. Yeah. Did you, um, and I know you said you experienced multiple losses. Did you find with any of them, or even if there's, we're going through IVF process or IUI and it's, it doesn't take, there's grief that comes with that, right? Like with any kind of loss, even if it's a loss of hope or a loss of possibility, how did that impact you or did it impact you in, how you were showing up in, in the sessions, did you need to take time to grieve or to process, or was it kind of like what you described at the beginning where you're like, I just filled my schedule and just stayed busy. Like how did, <laughs> well, I think that was, you know, even just having an option, right. Shifting to private practice and having an option of being in charge of how much time I took or didn't take. Yeah. I say that knowing, I also want to say in a way it was harder, right? Because I was like, oh my gosh, wait, now I'm sort of like totally in control of my schedule. This is me, you know, whether come piece or just, I've already had to take off a bunch of time feeling guilt around clients. Yeah. Part of what, you know, I think isn't maybe always talked about, or I didn't realize sort of being a therapist in this of all of these, you know, this takes time and every loss, right. Whether there's um, you know, multiple DNCs that I had to have and recovery yeah. or just time off, time off for procedures. Those are clients that you're rescheduling. Right. And so yeah. sometimes it gets to a point where I was like, oh my gosh, I need, right. Like I need some time for grief. And then you're thinking, right. I need this time for grief. And have I canceled on this client? You know, is this for a while? I can't remember what day it was. Like all of my stuff kept falling on. I think it was like Thursdays. Right. And I was like, my poor third, my, like my Thursday. <laughs> why couldn't something be a Monday, right? Why couldn't yeah. something be a Tuesday, right? And it just happened that way. And I had to sort of be, I, I had to take some time. And I think there was, um, I, had a, I had a rough recovery, you know, from the ectopic, I had a ruptured ectopic, I had surgery, I, yeah. and, and things that just was a longer, there was grief about, you know, losing the pregnancy. There was grief about like my body. There was just yeah. also just, healing in different ways that just was taking longer than, than had in the past. And so that was one where, you know, I, I took a little more time, um, which, which I also, you know, just acknowledge there's also like major financial privilege in that, right. To be able to take time when, when you are fee for service, right. Like if I'm not working, I'm not Right. So, um, and that's something that I found to be unexpected from maybe other therapists in the field who I disclosed to maybe not people that are in perinatal world or ourselves, but sort of this idea of like, oh, well you've had so much longer in your private practice before you've had to take maternity leave, right? Like you've had longer in the field before you've gotten to like bank all this cash for your leave or Mm. this, which it was interesting, right? I'm like, wait, I've been taking off. I'm actually taking off a ton. Right? Yeah. I have to take, take off for losses. I've had to take off for appointments, um, to grief, just like, yeah. 
stuff that you have from your medications through this process, right? Like, sure. You know, feeling like hell. Um, so, so I did take, I did take some time and then there were others, there were other losses where I did. I was like, okay, if I'm feeling okay, like, let's just go, like, let's, let's keep going. I got to keep yeah. going. That's what's sort of sustaining me right now is like one foot in the front of the other. We got to just go. Yeah. It sounds like you did a good job of being able to check in with yourself. It sounds like to a degree of like, like, do I feel okay to go hold space for somebody else today? And if so, here we go. And if not, like, yes, there's, there may be some financial repercussions from that, but like, I also am not in a place to be a therapist today. Right. Right. And how, like, I mean, it just, I was like sort of unfair to the person sitting across from you. Right. I want to show up and and there's going to be days when I show up better than others. Right. Or or sort of, I'm able to be more, I'm showing up with more self than others. And there is just a limit of like, okay, this is also just respect for my clients of look, I'm not, I want to show up and be able to be there for you. And if I'm not able to be there for me, then I definitely can't be there for you. So. Right. And I think we, as therapists hold a lot of guilt and like response, like sense of responsibility that like, we just have to be there for them. But again, we are a human being sitting across from another human being. And like, if we are not okay, how can we be there to support them? You know, and that giving yourself permission to be like, Nope, today is not the day for me to be able to sit in that chair, um, and to talk to somebody else. There were, you know, Absolutely times, right? I also just like there there were times when, you know, I I even questioned really like, can I can I like can I keep doing this? Right. Like, is mm. this sort of the, is this the role for me? Because there was. I just so I'm I just echo what you said about there's being guilt and feeling like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm am I the only person, right? There's some like weird, and that's for me to unpack yeah. my therapy, right? I was like, something with this behavior complex of like, <laughs> my clients are awesome and they don't see me a lot during the week. Like they're going to be okay. Right. Um, they're going to be just fine. They're going to be great. So uh, that is, there, there was, there was a lot of that to wrestle with. There was a lot of that to wrestle with and still, and, and I'm not saying I did it perfectly by any means um, and still felt guilty when I had to cancel. Right. I mean, I wasn't canceling with guilt. There was guilt. There was guilt. Even when I was canceling. Was so. Yes. Yes. But you were still prioritizing yourself then. We've all been told we need to network in our private practice, but no one actually tells us how to do it or what to say. Enter Comprehensive Connecting, effective scripts that expand your networking community and actually fill your online practice. This free guide will give you effective scripts to connect with fellow clinicians, medical professionals, and community stakeholders to build strong networking relationships that will help fill your practice. In this guide, you will get tips and tricks for building relationships that will lead to referrals in your practice, real life examples of messages used to connect with referral sources, and customizable plug and send scripts for your specific practice needs. So download your free scripts guide today by going to bit.ly forward slash comp connecting. So when you did get pregnant with your son and you knew, okay, there is a baby coming. How did you inform maternity leave? Like in your mind, what was that going to look like for you? And how did you begin sharing that with your clients? So I think the first, the first thing, even as you were talking, I was like, oh, but it, it took me a long time to really think there was a baby coming. Right. Like yeah. that big thing of in some ways I was 
not prepared for maternity leave, right? I had sort of yeah. had this plan. I can't remember maybe not in a different pregnancy that I had, right? I had sort of this beautiful maternity leave plan laid out that I had like, you know, I was like, oh my gosh, this timing is fantastic. The time that's going to be off, like, this is going to be so glorious. Yeah. And that, that, that pregnancy ended in loss. Right. So mm-hmm. I think in the pregnancy that resulted in our, in our living son has just been, I didn't think about, I didn't think about maternity leave. Right. I sort of, yeah. it's too hard. It was too scary. It was like, am I going to plan for something? And then it not come to be right. again. That was crushing. There was, I'm afraid to hope. Yes. And there was yeah. this huge sense of loss around this planned, you know, this like maternity leave that I had planned that was really tough in, in the pregnancy before, um, yeah. that we lost that I really struggled with. So it was, I was, I was into my pregnancy before I was really thinking about maternity leave and didn't start sharing with people until uh, about three months before I was set to deliver. And, and a couple of people that I, I shared a little bit earlier with, depending on the circumstances, right. And some of my perinatal population and just mm-hmm. who I think are a little more aware of bodies changing and things that I, people I was yeah. seeing and right. People that I know, cause I've been there, they're scanning, they're sure. looking. Right? Yeah. They're so, so yeah. yeah. Well, and I think, I think that's an interesting point too, about like when you chose to share, because I think a lot of times, again, I see this like permission asking of like, when am I supposed to tell my clients or is this okay? And I think for each person, because each person's journey in pregnancy or journey to parenthood is very different. And so where someone is like, I may feel comfortable disclosing at eight weeks, somebody else is like, I'm barely comfortable disclosing at eight months. Right. And that there isn't a hard, fast, right or wrong way to do this, but that we have to honor again, like what feels comfortable for us and what do we like in our own experience, right? Like for someone who has experienced multiple losses that again, there's that fear of hope. And I don't want to say it out loud because what if, right. And that, that shows up in how we not only are sharing with friends and family, but how we're talking with our clients about it then too. Yes. And I was so nervous. There was just some part of me that was so just really was nervous to have to navigate. Oh my gosh, what if I share? And then I have to share like, you know, yeah. thing the way that we hoped and having to navigate that with clients just felt like, I just was like, I don't know that I have capacity to do that right now in my own space. Right. So like, yeah. how, as long as I can, so we can be hope, hope that this, that things are, you know, and, and we can never be sure, but that right. we could be as hopeful as we could get, um, before we shared. And, and again, like I said, like people were awesome about it, right? People were yeah. so good, but it was tough because then I was thinking about, okay, wait a minute, right? Like this might be our only shot. So how, do, what does my, like, what does a maternity leave look like? Sure. If this is the only leave I get, right? Like this might most likely, right. Is, is it for us? Yeah. So that definitely shapes how you think about things, right. And so yeah. that, Hey, wait, maybe I'm going to think about doing things a certain way with that, but does that align with being a, the kind of private practice owner that I want to be or running the practice sure. that I'd like to run? It was tough. So how, like, so yeah, no, I mean, I think that's an, um, such an important question, right. Right. Like regardless of whether this is baby number four or a sense of, I don't know if we're going to have more beyond this. Like, 
deciding of how you want your maternity leave to look again, it's a personal decision. And yeah, those factors play into how you decide to structure that. So for you, how did you go into your maternity leave or like, what was your intention going into that of this is what, how I think I want it to go. Yeah. So I, you know, and again, and I can explain this, but I just have to say like, there's just an immense amount of privilege that I yeah. acknowledge that I have in this conversation, right? So many people that I see peers, colleagues, friends that are in this situation sure. they have used up, right? Like our, 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 I mean, we have run dry from the cost of treatments, right? Like yeah. it's so prohibitively expensive, even with insurance it time off. Right. I like have had to sacrifice financially for time off, you know, and they're left with like, okay, this is what I've got. Like, this is, this is the maternity leave I can now have because this is what's yeah. left from all of the treatments and things. And, and so I just acknowledge that, that that's also for so many yeah. people story. And, and for us, it looked like, okay, if I'm due at a certain, a certain period of time, um, I was, I was due initially, I was due like towards the end of September and, um, it was thinking about, okay, what would that look like to sort of just get me through the end of the year? Right. I was like, okay, holidays, things like, I want to make sure I want to sort of have this time and sort of get there before I would even think about what a transition back would look like. Sure. And then a wrench got thrown in things for me because I got COVID in my third trimester, had not gotten it, did everything I could possibly do not to get it. And, um, there was some, they thought there was some impact on the baby at that point. And so my timeline, it was like, okay, are we going to go, are we going to have, like, we're going to have this baby earlier so yeah. they can they need to do to make sure that he is safe. Um, are we going to like, what does this look like? Right. So my, yeah. my end of September plans became, okay, look, we got to wrap it up here at the end of August, which gives us some wiggle room. If we've got to go at 37 weeks yeah, and, and we can start there. And as things, thankfully, um, resolved themselves as I healed and the baby was better after COVID. It was just at that point, it was like, okay, wait, my, my mind, right. I had sort of, I was like, okay, end of August. I'm, I've already, yeah. my mind has been there. So we're just going to keep, we're going to keep that yeah. as, as our, as our final place. And, and then think about what we're doing um, and how long we're going to be. So that's, that was how I started. Right. I sort of had this date and then I had to shift it because yeah to things in pregnancy, right? This is right. life. <laughs> right. Right. Like you can say like, Oh, the baby's coming now or like on this day. And the baby could be like, Nope, that, that's <laughs> not the plan. <laughs> nope. Um, and, and then, yeah. And then thinking about like what your, what your transition back looks like. Right. So I was sort of weighing the, look, I'm a financial contributor in my family. Like this is this yeah. income matters in my home. Um, and, what are, what are the time off factors that we can get? Right. Um, yeah, here I have, I've sort of laughed, look back in this journey. We didn't know that this was going to happen. Right. So it's also how much money do you stock pile for a maternity leave? If you, if a maternity leave is maybe never going to come. Right. So mm-hmm. I had, we'd sort of stockpiled this maternity leave money. And then when that didn't happen, I, I was really like, 
F it. Right. Well, I'll say that edit myself. Yeah. Here, but let's, let's do that. Let, then I was like, okay, we're going to do some like home renovations. Let's take a big chunk sure. of that. Let's do some stuff I want to do around the house because right. this might not happen. Right. So that also is, is tough too, to think about sort of planning for maternity leave when we are struggling with infertility or recurrent loss, we're planning for something we don't know is going to necessarily happen. Right. Asking to sort of sacrifice and, and put money aside for that thing that might not be. Yeah. It's hypothetical at that point. Totally. When, after your son's arrival, cause I know for some women, you go into delivery and what you think postpartum is going to be like, and it's, oh yeah, like I'm going to be fine coming back to work at this time. And you get into it, whether it is again, a first baby or, you know, number two or three or whatever, and your experience can be totally different, you know, where you think I didn't have postpartum depression or anxiety before, and now I do, or this is not how I thought this was going to go, whether it's complications in delivery or postpartum complications, what I thought my maternity leave plan was, I don't know if I can do that. What was it like for you once you got into postpartum? It was, you know, it was a lot of more physical healing than mm. I, I sort of was anticipating. Um, and, and that part of things was, I, I like to say, I, I, I fared pretty well. So I'll, I'll take the wins where I can get, it was hard enough to, it was hard sure. to get here, but I fared pretty well. And, you know, even so I was not expecting to have just sort of the, the healing process post cesarean that I had, yeah. how long it took me to feel like I could maneuver about, you know, sort of my home, my space, right. Picking up yeah. the baby, wrangling dogs and just things that I just wasn't anticipating. So that definitely played an impact. And then there was the things you don't expect, right? Like I have a kid that doesn't take a bottle, right? So like, yeah. how does that, Oh, I didn't know that was really an option, right? Like yeah, <laughs> incredible bottle refusal. So I can only be gone for so long we've got a kid that's not taking a bottle. So, you know, there were things like that, that just weren't even on my radar, right? Like I was, I was all of my research, all of my time, all of my like late night internet perusing were on getting and staying pregnant, right? It wasn't really on what the heck happened. Yeah. What comes next? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And so for you, what, how long did you end up taking with maternity leave then? I was off through the beginning of January. I took sort of that Labor Day through the first of the year, like four months, yeah. and then had just a really slow return. And, and my return looked really different than I thought it would, right? My plan okay. was a couple long days. I love like a, let's do this. Like I'm here to like put my therapist hat on and let's like do it. And again, with the bottle piece, it was like that, that just, that just can't work. Um, we also, you know, this, this other kind of thought around where we live in the area of the country, you have to get on lists for child. Like you can't just get into childcare. I think it's an issue with that in this country. And so if you don't know, you're going to be able to have a baby, what am I going to pay to be on a wait list at a place? Like what in the world? So our plan was to try to make it work without, 
you know, sort of formal outside childcare between my husband and I, and we're fortunate enough to have um, my parents that can assist. And so we sort of were doing this puzzle with people's work schedules and my return back just also just looked really different than what I thought I had these, I mean, I had charts and plans and Excel documents, you know, transitioning back and then I'm going to add another client and how this will look. And that was, I mean, that was so far out the window. <laughs> yeah. How did you have that discussion with clients as you were preparing to come back? Was it something that you let them know of like, Hey, I, I thought I was going to be able to come back and be like full swing, but no, this is now what's going to have to look like. I actually had some of that conversation before I went out. So I, I sort of let people know that I don't know how this is going to be. I might come back in January and say like, you know what? I actually need four more months. I'm like totally pivoting everything and like, so sorry, I'm not doing this anymore. But I I sort of just left it really open-ended with people and said like, sort of check in with me in January, if you're interested to see what I'm doing, if you'd like to get back in and, and let it go that way. Um, And that, that seemed to work, right? It's, it's tough when you're trying, you know, there's a bit of, you know, I say sometimes it feels a little bit like Jenga of like, okay, oh, yeah. come at this moment. And if anyone needs to reschedule, you know, this is a house of cards and we'll all crumble. So yeah, that's still happening. Like, you know, my schedule is still maybe a source of a bit of, a, a, a bit of stress, but yeah, um, that I, I tried to set that up just before I went out. So yeah, that expectation of, Hey, just be prepared clients. I don't know what this is going to look like. Right. Like don't, don't ask me what I'm doing until January, but I actually don't know what I'm going to tell you in January. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, and I think that too, you know, I love hearing that that was kind of your approach because I, I think that recognizes it, it, that it's acknowledging again, where you were at, where I don't know. And as you know, like through, fertility journey through pregnancy, through motherhood, like we can make all these plans, but you know, life happens and just being able to honor, like, yeah, this is what I think this is what I'm hoping for, but check back with me, like, you know, or I'll check in with you right after baby comes and we'll reevaluate and that that's okay. That we, again, it's making sure that we're honoring ourselves in that place and yes, we are, we want to serve our clients, but again, if we're not ready to come back or we're just not in a space to come back, that's, we can't hold space for others. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. And it, that's, that's, it's so true. And, you know, was, was still hard, right. Cause there's still moments of, I, I, there's, I said, there's totally this grieving process that I'm still in about, yeah. Therapist, I I was able to be before I had my baby, and sure. then I am after my baby is here. Those are two very different therapists, right? Yeah. And people, they're here and they they're fine to navigate that. I think I'm really the one that <laughs> that struggles with it the most, right? I don't know. I hear tons of feedback about others, but it's just it's different. It's just my it is. If someone's listening and they're going through either reoccurrent loss or they're going through a fertility journey and they're trying to think about how do I plan for maternity leave or like, how do I think about that? Like, what, what do you have to offer to them or to kind of recommend or encourage them? First, I, yeah, I'm like, oh my gosh, first, I just want to give them a big hug. Cause it's, it's so much, it's so much yeah. it's, ugh, Um, just sending you tons of compassion and you know, I think you reflected it best back, Ashley, just about like 
you got to go with what feels good for you and what works for you. There are countless, you know, message boards, therapist forums that you can look for answers and what other people do. And, you know, the, the best answer is what works for you about disclosing about, you know, your, your own leave about, you know, what, what feels good for how much time you're going to take. I mean, all of that is, is so personal. I love what you said about just sort of honoring really what feels good about you. And sometimes that means saying, okay, I'm not going to get on another forum tonight and Google how to tell my client struggling with infertility that I'm pregnant because yeah, there's only so many times we can read answers to that question, right? Before we have to figure out, okay, this right. is a personal relationship. I know how to navigate this. I can do this. Right. And then, and just sort of from a practical standpoint, right. Of like, it's okay. If you've got to share, it's okay to share, you know, broadly, it's okay to share specifically about what you're going through. I sort of think about myself in that moment. Again, I know I keep referencing it, but of like running out, pretending to go to the bathroom to give myself a check. Like, okay. I like have a lot of compassion for that therapist who was trying to do everything right. Trying to, you know, it it would have been okay. It would have been totally fine for me to share. Right. That would have been absolutely fine. And so just thinking about, you know, from, from a practical standpoint too, about leave, right. Of like, okay, what's, what's your like minimum nest egg that you can sort of build mm. up and then you can stack that aside and then have some fun, right. With some of the other yeah. stuff coming in, do a house renovation, go on a trip. Yeah. And I know that's so it's, you know, that's frustrating sometimes to hear when you're like, I literally have, this has drained me, right. Cause it's sure. just there is not money to go, you know, away anywhere, which I absolutely, but just knowing that it is, it's so personal and there's no, there's no right way because this is just so it's, it's so hard. And that, you know, that my, maybe my final piece too, is that it's okay to, to take time off to grieve, right. That's totally valid. And there were parts of me that were concerned, like, oh my gosh, if I take time off to grieve, is that time off? If I eventually do get pregnant and have my turn to leave, is that less that I'll get? Um, But that, you know, we can, that's a completely valid reason to take care of ourselves. Yeah. Loss is loss. Grief is grief. And if you are feeling that, like there's no shame in that it is your experience and that it is okay like you said, to take that time, to take that space for yourself. So, yeah. Ren, I really appreciate you, your vulnerability and your willingness to just open up about your experience and, you know, the challenges that, you know, you've had in navigating this journey to motherhood. And, you know, I really, I feel like what you have shared today will hopefully resonate with those who may be going through something really similar. And I just, again, I just appreciate your openness and, and willingness to talk about this with me today. Well, I truly thank you for having me. I, this is such an important topic. So I'm, I'm glad to have a space to share and, you know, bring, bring some conversation around this because it's absolutely something that impacts how we run a private practice, how we run a, you know, how we choose to take leave. And so, yeah, thanks, Ashley. I really want to thank Ren again for sharing with us about her journey to motherhood and opening herself up to all of us. And again, if you're anticipating taking maternity leave and private practice soon or in the future, be sure to register for the free workshop I'm hosting called Planning for Maternity Leave and Private Practice. You can register at raisedempower.com forward slash maternity leave. Thank you for listening to today's episode and be sure to check back here in your podcast feed tomorrow for part three of this series. 
Thank you so much for listening to the Raise to Empower podcast. Check the show notes for all links and resources mentioned in the show. If you found today's episode helpful or inspiring, be sure to share it with your therapist friends. And don't forget to subscribe to the show and leave your five-star rating and review. It truly means so much to me and will help us get our message of empowerment out to other women and mom clinicians. And I'd love to connect with you in our Facebook community. So check out the show notes for the link or head to bit.ly forward slash raise to empower to join us. I'll see you back here next week.